From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shaped the real world. The administration began talks Wednesday with Mexico and Canada to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement, the 1994 trade pact that candidate Donald Trump pledged to withdraw from or rewrite. President Trump has so far done neither. Welcome to CQ's Week Ahead podcast. I'm Randy Willarius, filling in for Sean Zeller. My guest this week is CQ's trade reporter, Ellen Ferguson. She's been watching the trade talks and the trade issue generally for us. Welcome, Ellen. Good morning. Ellen, you attended Wednesday's press conference with negotiators from the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Set the scene for us. How far-reaching will these talks be? Will any NAFTA that emerges look anything like the 1994 agreement? It's hard to say at this point. Um, the opening uh, press conference where the three countries gave their public statements uh, covered the waterfront. Um, the uh, USTR representative uh, Robert Lighthizer uh, tried to took a hard line. He said, we're going to focus on trade deficits and we're not going to go for minor tweaks. We're going to make major changes. But that left the question of, was this bluster, or is that what's actually going to happen? Because they're going to spend several months negotiating. Um, they're going to be trading, horse trading. And just because they said it doesn't mean necessarily once they start working on an agreement that that's what they're going to hold to. They're each going in there. All the teams are uh, filled with seasoned negotiators. They have their national interest. They also have political pressures on them. So we'll have to see. The USTR, of course, is the U.S. Trade Representative's office leading those negotiations for the U.S. Uh, Ellen, you've written about the potential addition of issues such as digital, digital trade to a new agreement, something that didn't exist in the 1990s when the original was negotiated. What is digital trade and how much is it worth? Digital trade is the Internet. It's buying goods over the Internet. It's um, trading production information. It's um, payment processing payments. It's both the social as well as the business side. And uh, on software alone, the Software Alliance says that it contributes about a trillion dollars to the U.S. Uh, GDP. Um, the United States uh, GDP is about $18 trillion, maybe more than that. And so it's become a basic way of doing business. And it's not really divorced that much from manufacturing. Nowadays, if you're doing manufacturing, you're also using um, electronic computers. Um, you're tracking things um, digitally. So it is part of the overall way business is done both in the United States and in Canada and Mexico. And the U.S. worry is that more of this digital trade could originate in Mexico or in Canada, or am I misunderstanding? It's not so much that. It's um, just that it has now become such um, a part of doing business that you want to set rules. Now, this goes back to the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, Trade Pact, which... Uh, the United States withdrew from as soon as uh, President Trump got into office or t took the oath. Um, but that laid out ground rules for how you treat um, digital trade or digital e-commerce, however you want to call it. And so it seems like a good idea at this point since they're starting, you know, 
opening up the North, uh, North American Free Trade Agreement to include this part. And one of the concerns, not necessarily with Canada and Mexico, but elsewhere, because parts that go into the North American Free Trade Agreement, the revamped agreement, will also serve as models for the United States going forward in other uh, trade agreements. So basically to lay out rules that uh, govern whether a country can require a company to um, base its servers within its borders, whether it can say to a company, no, you can't do cross-border um, data transfers. So to just sort of lay out the rules, what the protections are, and make it clear what you can and cannot do as a country. Mm-hmm. Are there any other potential new chapters there possibly are, but that's really sort of the big one that all three countries seem to be agreeing on, that there needs to be um, that particular uh, uh, new form of trade. It's not new form. It's been going on for a while, that the trade agreement needs to catch up with that. Trump, of course, campaigned on an assertion that the agreement led to the loss of traditional factory jobs in the U.S., uh, uh, I think you've kind of touched upon already on how a chapter on digital trade could uh, address the issue he campaigned on, i.e. those traditional manufacturing jobs. But is he still sidestepping the heart of his campaign? Is is he going to renegotiate elements of traditional trade? I think it's hard to say traditional trade and non-traditional. It's all sort of Um, meshed up. Um, He is not neglecting, or at least starting out, he's not neglecting manufacturing. Um, When he talks about the trade deficit, um, he maintains, as well as uh, trade representative Lighthizer, that that has cost the United States manufacturing jobs. Essentially that the United States has increasingly relied on importing manufactured goods into the United States, therefore shrinking the manufacturing base in the United States, and that that has cost the United States money that could have been invested in expanding manufacturing and better paying jobs. Now, there's a difference of opinion on trade deficits, whether they are um, in in themselves bad, but the administration argues that uh, from its uh, standpoint that U.S. trade deficits have largely been a factor of unfair, that reflect unfair trade practices by their trading partners. So it's all wrapped together, and it, it, the administration argues that if it can bring down those deficits, if it can, it will boost manufacturing in the United States, it will boost investment in manufacturing jobs, and it will benefit those manufacturing um, workers who voted for President Trump. Is there support in these traditional industries for big changes to the agreement, manufacturing or agricultural industries? I don't think you can say there's a monolith in manufacturing because manufacturing now includes not just um, what we think of as the nuts and bolts, the cars. Um, It also includes food manufacturing, you know, products, processing. We have now we have software, hardware. It's all over the place. And it really sort of depends on where you are. Um, the unions largely support um, going after the trade deficits. They want um, tougher, what we call rules of origin, identifying where components come from with, among the three countries and um, reducing the amount of outside um, uh, products or components 
components from countries beyond NAFTA going into products as a, a way to boost the demand for U.S. manufacturing and to increase production. On the other hand, in the auto industry, they have, it has benefited under the integrated supply chains now. They've got plants in the United States, plants in Mexico, and in Canada. What they tend to do with um, Mexico, Mexico is where they send their um, lower price lines because the, that way they can get a higher margin on that because the uh, labor costs are lower. Um, and they can continue to manufacture higher priced items here or cars in the United States. And things work out. So, and agriculture definitely wants, by and large, the mantra, do no harm. That's what you hear with NAFTA among most of the businesses. Whatever you do, do not upset the supply chains. Do not make us appear to be an unreliable trading partner. And do not drive away our customers. The talk started Wednesday for a reason. Uh, that's when the required time ran out on the administration's notification to Congress that it intended to renegotiate the agreement. Did lawmakers have a response to the no notification? What do members of Congress want? Members of Congress, by and large, want, well, do no harm, um, particularly border state representatives. You know, border states have benefited. Um, but the um, one thing that Canada and Mexico did or spent time doing in the run-up to these talks is they sent people out representing the government to different places around the United States saying, look, we know that you know that you do business with us. Let's spell out the numbers so that you understand that if something goes awry in NAFTA, what you have at stake. And that they've gone beyond the border states, you know, places like um, um, Mobile, Alabama. That's a port city. Um, they rely on trade, not so much on NAFTA, but they are concerned about NAFTA and they're following it. Um, there are places in the Northeast that, you know, they trade, they do business with companies that do business in Mexico or Canada. So there's that ripple effect. So that's generally been the message. You now, Democrats in, um, in Congress have said that they want Trump to live up to his campaign promises of, of you know, tougher on Mexico currency manipulation to address that, to um, demand higher um, U.S. content and products. So you've got two camps there, but generally the message from Congress is don't screw things up. Do, will Congress have a chance to review a new deal? Can they um, prevent the president from tearing up the current agreement if he doesn't uh, uh, reach a new one with Mexico and Canada? They can't prevent him from withdrawing the United States. Uh, I think the way the provisions are in NAFTA is that any of the member countries can notify the other partners that they're leaving. Um, now, politically, that probably would not be, uh, there would be some reaction from members of Congress. What that might be, who knows? Um, I think agriculture and the, um, and the blocks that voted heavily for um, uh, President Trump have emphasized over and over again that leaving NAFTA would be destructive to them and therefore the rural communities. And that's not something that he would want to do. Um, 
we'll see. It's not really clear at this point how much of that might be a negotiating position ploy. Um, it's hard to tell with President Trump. Um, Robert Lighthizer, the trade representative, is a um, seasoned negotiator. He's a uh, former trade lawyer. He's done a stint before at the trade representative's office. He has a good team with him. So I don't know. Um, but if the president decided he wanted to leave, he could. I want to pick up for a minute on uh, a point you made a minute ago, and that is uh, because the U.S. economy is the largest of the three, the discussion and the president's rhetoric sometimes can sound as though the U.S. also has the greatest leverage. But Mexico and Canada have cards to play here as well. Uh, is that simply in terms of the benefits that places like Mobile might get from trade, or do those nations have other cards that they can play in these talks? I think that's a, a primary um, card that they can play, that they can, that they have essentially mobilized different parts of the U.S. economy, different parts of the United States to tell their congressional um, delegation, to tell the president that they have major stakes. Um, there is just the, the fact that particularly the auto industry is so integrated, uh, spread out among the three countries, that there's a question of how they would detangle themselves. And if you'd be able to do that without, in the end, affecting a good segment of the voters that the president is focused on. So um, I think the other thing, I, I think I mentioned this, that Canada and Mexico have got seasoned negotiators. They're not rubes who just rolled in off the street and are in awe and shaking of the United States. They've handled negotiations. Canada um, has a, a, an agreement with the European Union, which is its second largest trading bloc after the United States, that will start to provisionally take effect in September. It took roughly about four years for them to negotiate, another four years for it to start moving into effect. It still has to be ratified by the 28 members of the EU. But again, Canada is not new to negotiating. Mexico has 10 free trade agreements with 45 countries. It also has 33 investment agreements with, I think, another 32 countries. So they know how to negotiate, and they also kind of face a line. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm imagining they probably discuss the political realities in their countries. Mexico has an upcoming uh, presidential election in 2018. The current president will not be up. But what is at, at stake is whether or not his party will remain in control. You know, there's a strong nationalist surge in Mexico, and there's a, uh, a candidate who seems to be picking up a lot of momentum. And so Mexico cannot be seen as caving into the United States. To a lesser degree, there's that sentiment, too, in Canada that Canada can't be the nice guy who gets run over. Right. So it could take some time. Uh, thank you, Ellen Ferguson. I know you'll be following these talks as they take place. My name is Randy Valerius. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. <laughs>